Well, good morning, Pitts Baptist Church. It's good to be here today. I am very happy. And by the way, uh, this is uh, not as bad as it looks. I had uh, something called a laminectomy last year. It's a little back surgery, and I'm needing the cane for uh, balance. Other than that, I feel so good today that I'm able to be here at Pitts Baptist Church. I talked with your pastor yesterday. His sabbatical time is flying by. But he is enjoying it, but he says that he misses his people. And I know that the people here miss him. And I told him that he is a great leader, by the way, not only of this church, but of the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. He has held many pivotal positions, and we love and appreciate very, very much your pastor, Scott Davis. I'll tell him that you said hello and not to hurry back. I mean, to hurry back. <laughs> I also appreciate Kevin over here. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Kevin is a dear friend of ours, our development director particularly, Brenda Gray. And we appreciate you, Kevin. Thank you for your introduction. The other Kevin. The other Kevin is not here today. Is that? He is here. There, there you are. I, I saw something shining back there. And it's, <laughs> it kind of got my eye, sort of like I have here. But thank you for your good work too. And Jonathan and all the other staff here. Now... Your pastor has been here a long time, but a long time ago, shortly after I became president of the Baptist Children's Homes, and as Kevin says, that seems like forever, although it's only been 35 years, I came to Pitts Baptist Church courtesy of somebody named Larry Austin. Do any of you remember Larry Austin, who used to work here in education a long time ago? He invited me to be here. Scott invited me to come down last year, but I had to I cancel that because of the impending surgery. You know, to have a staff that has been together for as long as this staff has, and I have that where I am too, it is a credit to the Holy Spirit who's keeping this group together. It is a credit to your pastor. Your pastor leads his staff redemptively. He leads them in a way that affirms and blesses them, and it is a credit to this congregation who loves the men and women who are called by God to lead the various ministries of this church. We have seen this already today. Now, I can't spot him from here, but is uh, Dr. Russell Willis in here today? Where are you? And the lovely lady sitting beside you, would you mind standing for just a moment, Mrs. Willis? <laughs> now, I know how old you are today. Today is your birthday. <laughs> Russell, is it okay? 80, 80 how many? 89. All right, and what is your first name? Say. Dot. Are you with me? Let's do it. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Dot. Happy birthday to you. Dot. All right, I see my scripture is uh, up where you can see it. It's Isaiah 61, 
verses 1, 2, and 3. I brought my Bible with me right here on my phone. I have not ever used my phone before, and I don't have to use it today. I like to carry a Bible. Read along with me here. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment or mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. I want to show you how this is going to apply to you today as well as it applied to a group of exiles many thousands of years ago. Israel always had a troubled relationship, it seems, with God, and all they had to do was to obey God, be fruitful, and multiply. But they never could quite get it straight. The story of the Old Testament is like a circle or a cycle. It is Israel's obedience to God. Disobedience to God, punishment by God, repentance toward God, and then it starts all over again. Oh Lord, forgive us, we will obey thee. They obeyed, they were forgiven, and then they disobeyed, and then they were punished, and then they repented, and the cycle started over again. And God says, Listen, this is not all that hard. All you got to do, be fruitful, obey me, and multiply. And if you don't, you will be severely punished. That punishment came in the form of an enemy that swept down from the north and literally bodily carried those in Israel into Babylonian exile, where they languished for 70 long years. They had a lot of memories, of course, back home. They had memories of beautiful, beautiful vineyards that had been planted. They had great memories of all the religious festivals that they had. They had memories of family. They had memories of worship at Solomon's magnificent temple. And surely they thought God would allow them to go home again. And year went into year and decade went into decade and finally... Around 621 B.C., an edict came down from the king whose name was Cyrus. You can go home again. And what a day of rejoicing that was because these exiles gathered together, those who were the original exiles and those who had been born in captivity, and said, we get to go home again. And with a song in their heart and rejoicing in their lips, they went back and what a scene greeted them. Nothing was like they remembered it had been. All the lush, green, fertile fields had been plowed under. There was no semblance of any kind of religious activities. And worst of all, Solomon's magnificent temple had been reduced to a rubble of ruin. 
Nothing was like they remembered it. And the Bible says that all of Israel experienced ashes and mourning and a faint spirit. And into that situation comes a man who has to preach a sermon. His name was your name, Isaiah. And he was going to preach a word of hope to a group of people who were dispirited, who were discouraged, who were disillusioned, who were despondent, who were depressed. And so Isaiah began the only way he could begin. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me, saturated me, indwelled me. I have a word for those of you who are despondent and depressed. You do not need to lose hope today. The Lord is with you. The Lord is for you. The Lord is going to abide in you. And the Lord is going to be present unto you because this is the day the Lord hath made. And all you have to do is to take advantage of the insteads that God has for you. A garland instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. So you exiles then and those who may feel in exile now can do something about the situation that you're in. You are not stuck. You are not alone. You can do something because God's anointing is on your head. And so they got busy and they swept away the rubble of ruin. And they began to sing new songs, many of which are recorded for us in the book of Psalms. And they realized that they could stand tall once again and become oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. And what God said to those in that day, God says to those of us at Pitts Baptist this day, and he said to those of us at the Baptist Children's Homes for 133 years, you don't like what you've got in life, you can do something about it no matter what your age no matter what has been said to you in the manner of abuse or neglect or saying that you don't matter or that you have parents that regretted the day you were born and this is what we have at our place, you can do something about it. And what abuse has been heaped on your head, and I will say about that more in just a moment, it is not your fault. What I tell these kids over and over, because they have been sexually abused, they have been psychologically maligned. They have been verbally told they don't matter, they don't care, you are an accident, and they grow up and they believe it's their fault. I told all 700 of our staff three weeks ago at something called Family Gathering because so many of our alumni who were children grow up and still believe it's their fault. So many people maybe even here today who have heard those words, you don't matter, you were an accident. And you've been put down, but you've not been put away. And I want you to hear me say, it is not your fault. God says to you, you have a garland instead of ashes. A few hundred years after Isaiah preached these words, uh, another preacher stood to preach what we Baptists sometimes call a trial sermon. 
He stood before his hometown folk. That's a tough crowd sometimes. And he was given a scroll. He didn't need it. I know he knew this scripture from heart as everybody there that day did. But he began, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the day of salvation, the day of our God, the day of vengeance of our Lord, to give unto you a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. And then that teacher carefully folded that scroll up and handed it to an attendant and said, Today the reading of this word is fulfilled in your midst and I can imagine that congregation kind of looking at one another and scratching their heads and saying say what did he just say that this scripture we have heard all our lives is fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth Turned out to be a kind of a tough day for him. But those of us sitting here in the beauty of this sanctuary know exactly what that preacher, whose name was Jesus, believed. Because we believe it. Isaiah prophesied it. Jesus actualized it. A garland instead of ashes. Here is a Samaritan woman at the well. Now, she already had a lot of strikes against her. She was a Samaritan, a member of a racial minority group that just about everybody hated and despised and rejected. And she was a woman which looked down upon women in that time and which still does in many ways today. She was a four times loser at marriage. She was already in another adulterous relationship. And she is at the well. She is a broken woman with a broken heart and a broken spirit. A life filled with ashes. Nothing is gone as she wanted. But remember, a man could easily divorce a woman by simply saying three times, I divorce thee, I divorce thee, I divorce thee, said, done, over with. She could burn the toast and that would be grounds for a divorce. She was an abused woman, I believe it. And here she was bent over with all the trouble and anxiety and pain and rejection. And here comes Jesus. And he speaks to her words of love and hope and forgiveness and joy and peace. And that woman looks up into that compelling face, those compelling magnetic eyes. And she sees there all the peace and joy and forgiveness and hope that she will ever need. It was like Jesus placed a garland on her head. A garland of hope. A garland instead of the ashes of disappointment. See yourself at the well with the problems and burdens and anxieties that may have kept you awake all night, that were on your mind about somebody you know, a family member today, and you feel like sometimes, well, what's the use? I cannot call this name 
But my wife's best friend, one of her best friends from high school, committed suicide this past week. I cannot call her name because she lived in Cabarrus County. We thought she was great. We thought she was well. But hers turned out to be a life of ashes. I'll say more about that in a moment. Let Jesus put a garland on your head. See it. Visualize it. Because a garland means you are a winner. You are first place. You are somebody. And that's what we've been telling these kids for 133 years, that no matter what post you were behind, no matter what post you continued to hide behind, you are somebody. You are valued in the eyes of God. Come now and let us put a wreath, the victory wreath on your head, a garland instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The three years of Jesus' public ministry were very much like a whirlwind, pushed and pulled and tugged here and there and everywhere. Finally, he was able to get a little respite one time. He went out in a boat there on the Sea of Galilee. I've been there. It's more like a big lake. And he was out with Peter and John. And as they began to come in, they saw the crowd there on that shore. And when I've been right there too, and they pull up and he was just mobbed. A woman touches the hem of his garment. She is healed. Others touch him and want to be near him. And finally, a man comes up in sheer panic. Rabbi, Lord, you need to come to my house because my daughter is thought to be dead or dying. If anything ever got Jesus' attention, it was the plight of a young person. And I can see him. Can't you now just pivot? I'm going to leave what I'm doing and I'm going to go to the rabbi's house and I'm going to see what I can do which he knew he could because he was going in the power of God and he goes into that little house and there was great mourning weeping and gnashing of teeth and why would there not be because what grief is there that is any greater than the grief of a child who is dead or thought to be dying Jesus goes into the little room where the little girl is. He takes her parents. He takes Peter and John. Nobody else is allowed to come in. He kneels by her bedside. And he speaks to her words of hope and health and healing. And it's quiet. And you can then see... In your mind's eye, that little girl's eyelashes just begin to flutter. And she looks up into the face of Jesus. Very quickly, the word spreads throughout that little house. The little girl thought to be dead is now alive. And all those tears that were tears of grief and pain are now tears of joy. It was like there had been a gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus simply said to this child what he says to all of us. Wake up. Look up. Get up. Now I hear those three every day. Two of them I have no problem with. Wake up. Look up. Not ready to get up yet, but it'll be soon. 
And then he said, give this child something to eat. And they got up and they had a good time because there was on that day the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Now I know because I have done it myself. I have held on to those things out of the past where I feel that I have been maligned and I've held a grudge and I have, I think, let go of all of them because the one who said those bad things against you don't even remember it, could not care less, but it has been in your mind, in your heart, I just don't like that person. I do not like thee, Dr. Fell. I know not why nor cannot tell. I just don't like thee, Dr. Tell. Well, like yourself and love yourself and forgive yourself. Now, I'm going to ask you something. I'm sorry I don't have the answer to this. Oh, I do. There was a movie a few years ago called Frozen. Do you remember that at all? My grandchildren have seen it about 110 times. And there's a little song in there called, let it go, let it go, let it go. And that's what I want all of us to do. We need to let it go. Whatever it is that's burdening us down to keep us from living the good life, the glorious life, the God-fearing, God-loving life, just let it go. And allow yourself to feel the alchemy of God's grace pouring down on your head so that you will know there is nothing too great for you and God not to be able to conquer. That is the alchemy of God's grace standing under it like a waterfall. Let it indwell you. Let it saturate you. Let it make all the difference in your life. And this is what we say to these kids and have been saying at Mills Home where you're familiar, even to the NC BAM agency where we had somebody in their 80s last week receive the Lord. Everybody stands in the need of grace. You give it, you will get it. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. Isaiah prophesied it. Jesus actualized it. A mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. A man had a son, and he was a rebellious son. About 16 years of age, he comes to his father and he says, Now, Daddy, I know Jewish law. And Jewish law says that I can get my rightful inheritance any time I want it. And I want it now. Oh. Reluctantly, and I suspect with a broken heart, the father gave the boy his inheritance, all that denarii, and that boy went in to the far country and squandered it all quite literally on women, wine, song, until one day he wakes up in a pig pen with no energy, no anything, a broken, demoralized man, a faint spirit if ever we saw one. Now, in the Bible, faint spirit does mean depression. It is a malignant illness, clinical depression. You may know someone who has it. You may be hiding it yourself. That's the kind of faint spirit you need 
to get help with. Every week we read about people who seem to be leading noble lives. And it's probably touched either family or friends of yours. And they are here one day and the next day for whatever reason they have decided that they wanted to take their own life. This boy was a faint spirit. He couldn't do anything. One little smidgen of energy. He said, I'm going to get up. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to be with my daddy because my daddy's going to make it right. And so with, with the last amount of strength that he had, he got up and he began to trudge home again. And I can see in my mind's eye this, this, this little dot out here on the hillside. And the father at home is absolutely frantic. Where's my boy? And he sees this little dot begin to move closer and closer and closer. And then there is that sudden moment of awareness. That's my boy. And they run and they meet each other. And the father who had every, every right to criticize and condemn and say, I told you so, puts his arm around his boy. And he accepts him. By the way, criticism is a no-no. I think it's the number one thing that causes trouble in marriage is not lack of communication. That's just too nebulous and too general. But harping, biting criticism. Let it go. So the boy comes home. And not only does his daddy put his arms around him. It ain't nothing like daddy's arms. Unless it's mama's arms. But daddy takes it a step further. Go to the closet over there and bring the best robe in the house. I want to put it on my boy. And he did. It's like the, the breastplate of righteousness. In the words of Scripture, it is the mantle of praise. And you know it. Because the Father in this parable is God. God has for you a mantle of praise, a mantle that says, you're my child. I am your Abba. I am your daddy. And you are important to me. So you don't have to be stuck with a faint spirit. You don't have to be stuck feeling that you are alone and that you don't matter. Your being here today sitting with these dear beloved friends show that you are important and that you matter and you worship and you sing and you praise and you matter to God because you are somebody you are a child of God we've been saying that for 133 years I have spent 35 years of my life telling these kids these broken families that you are somebody that you matter to God and all the crap that's happened in your life is not your fault Did I just say what I thought I just said? <laughs> well, that's the truth. So I say to all of you today who may be in the far country, come home to the Father. And then I say this specifically and scripturally to Pitts Baptist Church. You have been 
and you will continue to be what Isaiah says the winners are. You will be oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Pitts Baptist Church glorifying Almighty God in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll offer a prayer, Kevin, and then I'll turn it over to you. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we are thankful that we can wake up and look up and get up to face this day and all the good things that come our way. May we be inspired today by Scripture. May we allow the garland of hope and victory to be put on our head instead of the ashes of disappointment. May we ourselves know what the oil of gladness and positivity feels like as it washes upon us and sinks into us and soaks our very being instead of the mourning over those things for which we can do nothing about anyway. And then as we sing and as we leave and as we face all the tomorrows, may we have the feeling of the mantle of praise on our shoulders instead of the faint spirit of loss and depression. We believe it. We claim it. We are oaks of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Amen.